Hello and welcome to Get It Started, Get It Done, the Banyan Security Podcast covering the security industry and beyond. In this episode, our host and Banyan's Chief Security Officer, Den Jones, speaks with Dave Raffel, Chief Operating Officer at DNS Filter. Dave has more than 20 years' experience at tech firms large and small and is an expert in application security and author of the 2009 book, Security on Rails. We hope you enjoy Den's discussion with Dave Raffel. Welcome, folks, to another episode of Get It Started, Get It Done with your host, Dan Jones, uh, Banyan's lame attempt at podcasting. And uh, if we're shit at making software, then I guess we can fall back to this. So I'm just glad our products actually don't suck. Uh, got a great guest with us today. So Dave, and I don't want to butcher your last name. So Dave Raphael? Or... That's it. Yeah. And are you a Ninja, ninja Mutant? turtle fella or I, yeah yeah i lived i, I grew up uh, uh with with that as the uh the fun thing so yeah yeah that was my era as a kid so well let's well let's rather than that be your introduction why don't why don't you do a better job and introduce yourselves to the audience yeah absolutely so dave Raffel, um i uh currently work as the uh chief operating officer at uh dns filter um been there for, for about 16 months and just recently took this role. Prior to that, I was um, chief product officer and uh, you know, run, run all of R&D and um, everything from threat research to product development to product management, et cetera. I'll actually continue down that path and, and we're sort of embracing the, you know, product-led growth is the model and therefore this role is an extension of that, et cetera. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing uh, cyber for gosh, you know, about 20 years and a uh, few, few more years beyond that, been doing software development in general. And uh, I've kind of worked across the um, gamut of uh, big companies, small companies, seen a little bit of it all. And I definitely love this, uh, you know, uh, SaaS space where we're in the kind of scaling up phase with a great product market fit, et cetera, where we are today at the NS Filter. So, yeah, just uh, yeah. I've been doing the same stuff for a while now, though. Also, oh, I was going to, yeah, I was just going to say, so for people who don't know what DNS filter is, how, can you describe what, what the company is, what the product is, and, and the vision for the future? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and actually what, what brought me to DNS filter was um, the simplicity uh, of our, our product. And that product is providing uh, protective DNS. And so for for those that uh, you know uh, aren't aren't familiar, that's ultimately ensuring that at the very basic level of, of DNS queries, those queries are all being run through a system that ensures that uh, they are um, you know not malicious, phishing, malware, et cetera, et cetera. And beyond that, we also provide content filtering, you know, for uh, businesses as needed, whether that's for um, you know, corporate policies or even regulatory compliance, such as protecting kids in, in the educational environment, et cetera. And so we sort of see that all as a continuum of, of the security um, um, you know, value, et cetera. Um, beyond just providing that as a service, we provide that to um, the OEM markets as well. So we, so we sell direct to, to to businesses, we sell a lot through MSPs. We have uh, distribution both uh, in the U.S. and internationally. Um, we actually provide coverage for a whole uh, country, uh, actually, worth of uh, filtering. 
And um, last but not least, we're embedded in some very, very large products that, you know, in the order of, of millions and millions of users. So our, our product's pretty ubiquitous. And in terms of uh, number of users, we protect probably somewhere in that 30 million uh, total users range when you actually uh, extrapolate it out. Um, as far as the core offering goes, that protection and kind of where we're going with it all, um, we can kind of expand into that a bit. Um, so feel free to just ask away and we'll, 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 we'll journey through it. Yeah, no, that, that's, that is awesome. Awesome. And um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll probably circle back a little bit because I, I, I got a few, few fun questions for you along, along today's episode. Um, so we'll definitely come back into where, where the product fits, but, but I want to play a little buzzword bingo. I don't know. So Banyan buzzword bingo, and we're going to start off with zero trust. So what's your take on zero trust? Where do you guys see that with regards to DNS filter? Yeah, no, I mean, I think first I'll kind of speak generally to, to zero trust and I'm going to tie that back into um, D- DNS filter. You know, zero trust is really uh, uh, reminds me a lot of like when people started referring to the cloud. Right. And so it, it really captures a lot of the. Um, I don't want to call it quite final state, but as we sort of started migrating from the kind of traditional corporate intranet with with sort of big walls and VPN only access or physical only access. And then we started seeing more and more of this sort of hybrid, uh, et cetera. Uh, the zero trust term made a lot of sense around how do you approach you know, the problems that come with not having control of the, um, you know, the network topology, et cetera, that you're, you're dealing with. And it's sort of like, if you take the approach that, well, don't trust anything, um, you know, we can just simply uh, uh, create an incredibly strong security posture by meeting that. Right. And that's a pretty tall order, right? Like, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you go about doing that? And so, you know, it's not, a single thing, right? It's a it's it's a layered approach, and it's a a Tetris problem, if you will, of products really to put together depending on your needs. DNS filter um, fills you know a couple little areas there, um, and when I say uh, little, not so little in the sense that we are um, kind of at the foundation of it all. So, like, if it starts with saying, "Are you locking down the very basics, such as the question about what?" you know, what does this domain resolve to and what's its um, reputation um, and other things that we can um, find out about. Um, That is a basic building block that I often refer to as, it's like fluoride in uh, tap water. You know, I don't know if a lot of people realize, (laughs) but there's, there's literally fluoride in modern water supplies is one of the reasons why we have better uh, dental health. Um, It's not just because of dentistry and stuff. It's actually because this, this fluoride in the tap water helps solve, you know, some very large percentage of the general issues. And that's true for what we do in a the zero trust world is we provide that basic substrate around how we protect the the resolution itself. Awesome. Awesome. So next next buzzword bingo, SSE. Or maybe it's acronym bingo, really, right? Uh, something mm. like that. What's what's your take on SSE and where do you guys play in that arena? Huh. Well, um, I'm uh, 
uh, you know, you may have to filter some of this out, right? Because I, I have some some strong opinions, and there may be some swearing. But you know, SSE is sort of the uh, 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 one half of a coin called SASE, right? And yeah. uh, SASE to me is a bit like a. Uh, it reminds me of like the the SOA stuff back in the two thousands, like the service oriented architecture, where it was all this rage, and we're going to build a ton of products around how to broker and control and all of this, you know, these services that we're going to tie together through these amazing protocols and nobody ever has to write code again. And with SASE, if you deploy all this, you never have to worry about uh, a zero trust type environment because this takes you from soup to nuts from your actual basic network access all the way through your authentication, you know, your, your, your brokering around access, you know, your CASB, et cetera. Um, so, you know, ultimately, uh, protective DNS is one of the pieces of that puzzle. Like every solution that can kind of finds itself in that in that you know magic quadrant or that category of products must provide uh, protective uh, DNS. And you know, additionally, you've got like you know securing down the the web part of it, the URLs, et cetera, et cetera. And we can talk a little bit more about how DNS filter plans on playing in in some of those other areas too. So. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just so my other buzzword bullshit bingo one was going to be sassy, but you, you kind of covered that a little bit. I mean, what what do you see as the key difference between sassy? So S-A-S-E and S-S-E? You know, I, I may need to pull the reference book out. I mean, it's if if I remember correctly, it's uh, the A part of it's the access control. Is that right? And uh, the you know secure services edge versus whatever it is, your access and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Look, yeah. uh, I, you know, when, real quick, I will say about SASE is like, it's a, it's an all encompassing kind of Gartner invented thing that I think is useful for framing certain conversations, right? Yeah, I uh, was just going to say this. Is it analyst led growth as opposed to product led growth? It is, it's <laughs> absolutely, uh, I don't know if the A stands for analyst or something else, yeah. but it's definitely uh, not product led and it's not market driven really it's more of like a how do we bundle all these things to sort of rationalize a complex uh cycle for some of the other incumbents frankly that have been around a while so that they can sound fresh and really be able to target a zero trust world and it's funny you say that because i was at a conference i think it was dallas and the speaker before me was wrapping up his talk and the the audience questions one of the questions was all about are you guys uh in the magic quadrant of of nonsense right and and his answer was brilliant because he was like hey those are pay to play he went you have to meet certain criteria you have to be best friends you have to give them money and and he just let loose and he was like really eye-opening conversation that ensued on the whole analyst market and and how how you get those things and it, it actually reminded me of the awards market as well like you know if you if you want to get the project of the year award with blah 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 company then quite often it refers back to yeah how much did you spend with that company over the last year were they involved and so there's a whole bullshit thing that i think as a practitioner you don't really get great awareness or insight into as I transitioned over into my role at Banyan then all of a sudden I start to learn these terms like pay to play which I had never even heard of before like I didn't even know that thing existed really um so it's 
it for me when I now get into buzzword bullshit bingo, and I try and tell even our marketing team at, at Banyan, right? I roll my eyes every time I see another bloody acronym coming out. But I get, and you, you hit the nail on the head, It it's how Gart, Gartner and other analysts really want companies to be able to frame the conversation more than anything else. And for them to say, we fit neatly into the bucket of X, Y, and Z. So I kind of understand why companies like us and other companies go down the path of saying, oh, we're a zero trust company, or we're a this company, or we're a that company. SSE is the new fancy thing for us right now, and I totally understand why we're on that bandwagon. But at the end of the day, as a practitioner, problem solving and reducing risk, I want to know, hey, my employees don't need to use usernames and passwords any longer. How do I achieve that outcome? I I don't want to use VPN any longer. How do I achieve that outcome? I don't want when my employees click a link that they go to that malicious website. How do I achieve that outcome? So I think the reality is, is it's how do you get these products to work together in order to reduce your risk and achieve specific goals? Now, on that topic, I'd love your take on what do you see, how important is collaboration between different companies um, as, as, because, you know, we don't do all things zero trust and we don't do all things SSE. So I I learned in 2017 at Adobe, we needed partners to integrate their solutions in a way that derived these outcomes that I just spoke of. So how important do you see that? Oh, I think it's paramount. Um, I mean, in some ways it's like, uh, um, I'm probably gonna answer this to a few different ways. I mean, number one, I think that the whole, cycle of security products has some interesting patterns where you've got um, sort of the, the the paradigm shift, some new acronym, you know, when we went from antivirus to endpoint to, you know, um, EDR, XDR, blah, 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 right? You, you have these evolutions of kind of like paradigm. And then there's the best in class versus best in breed. And what ultimately happens is, you get acquisitions that occur with some of these best of breed to, to be combined into like a solution. And, and I think you've got a few years where you've got, you've got a leader that can check a number of boxes and solve those problems in a super effective way. As we know, as, as, as companies get bigger and um, accumulate more uh, um, weight, I'll say, they slow down their ability to innovate and they really generally are going to struggle to have any sort of paradigm shifting roadmap, et cetera. So it's really important that there's a continuum of companies out there pushing the boundaries. And in order to push the boundaries the best, the focus that comes with being, you know, kind of laser focus, whether it's a Banyan or a DNS filter to focus on a certain area and being the best in that area. And to your point about being integratable and, you know, being able to work together, it's really important for the best of breed companies to understand that we have to be integratable in order for us to sell into, um, you know, whether it's the the, the CISO or uh, CIO office, whatever, um, in a way that doesn't cause their implementation budgets to go wonky, et cetera. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I think it's, you know, and, and I can continue to go. And then I think you also have to look at like, some of this starts to become a natural 
bundle for these acquisitions where you can actually put together some pretty compelling uh, stories around, hey, uh, such and such, I'll leave names of companies out for a second. <laughs> you know, let's bring these three things together and, um, you know, it, it can kind of be an in-between the best of breed, best in class. So um, that's yeah. why that interop is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've done several implementations of what some people will call zero trust. Um, but I remember at Adobe, we, we basically had to strong arm three companies and say, hey, you will work together or you will not be part of the solution. And, and, and it was hard. I mean, we, we at least had, you know, power and might and name brand behind us. But I can't, I can't imagine how, you know, some like city of San Jose is going to turn around and get the same success or the same leverage. It's really tricky. So it really is upon us as organizations to try and look at companies that we can partner with. Now, AI. AI is all over the news, Dave, right? So let's talk about some AI and machine learning and all that stuff. How, how, how valuable, I mean, specifically with, with DNS filler, how valuable is things like machine learning and AI to you guys? It's... Um beyond valuable. I mean, if you look at what sort of differentiates us, uh, it is the, the use of, of machine learning extensively. I mean, it is baked into our DNA uh, at this point um, since like 2018. That's literally been kind of the linchpin of our, um, our convergence of all of the threat research. You know, we bring in close to 100 data feeds, uh, both open source and and we pay for the a lot of the high-end players that people have heard of but we also have um extensive amounts of um you know machine learning techniques whether it's you know statistical models or uh recurrent neural networks etc we're applying a uh, a litany of, of techniques to um categorize things and to ensure that our true false positive rates stay where they need to, because the last thing you want to do is block the wrong things. Mm -hmm. um, and we are, you know, we're about a seven day average ahead of the, the, the competition and data feeds in terms of identifying zero day uh, URLs for, for zero day malware. And um, we've, uh, you know, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little, you know, our labs team is, is always working and improving that. And we've got some new uh, technologies that are more like, you know, 500 to a thousand hours ahead of, anything out there and so wow. it's it's kind of the name of our game is um machine learning and how we've managed to productionize that and put that into uh into the market awesome now from an ai perspective what do you see i mean so how, how do you see ai benefiting the attackers and then how do you see ai benefiting the defenders ah, boy that's a that's that's actually something i've been exploring for <laughs> for months now um you know, there's a couple different ways I'm looking at that one. I mean, one is um, obviously from a um, from a social engineering perspective, the ability to craft contextual uh, messaging to to folks becomes you know not free but very low cost, uh, relatively speaking. So whether that's targeted or even just looking at uh, you know. Um, not having grammar problems and spelling issues that come with a lot of these uh, attacks in the past that were kind of part of how we helped recognize them to begin with. Um, I think that's, that's just one simple example. 
I think that uh, we're going to see a lot more um, even, you know, even outside of the commercial uh, GPT offerings, I think even we're going to see uh, some of the large uh, syndicates investing their own time in training uh, the G, you know, GPT, the GPT-4 type of things for their own purposes because they're very sophisticated. And for every dollar we spend on security, uh, I believe in IT budgets, you know, they're spending like 90-something you know, dollars. Um, they outspend us like crazy, right? Uh, you yeah. probably know that. Um, on the defense side, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's, this one's tricky. Um, one of the things that makes our technology work is that it's fast at scale, right? So you can answer lots of questions very quickly. And in the compute world, we're always trading, you know, electrical costs essentially for answers, right? And one of the challenges I see currently with, um, any sort of like mass scale, application with you know something like a, a, a chat gpt is you're spending a lot of you know pennies so to speak for every question that you ask right and so that makes it pretty tough to create anything that's that's um you know market viable from a cost perspective so mm -hmm. you know on little proof of concepts you can do some pretty cool stuff today with hey what do you think about this domain and you know it'll you can say can you give me a dossier of the people that might be connected to it i mean it's it's cool, right? And so that angle from a research perspective and kind of having a almost like a, a, an army of minions to be able to go gather information, pretty powerful. Um, so I, I currently see it as much more favoring the attacker side than the defender side at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I was, I was reading, um, you know, how script kitties are using this stuff to really build some serious malware, right? And, and then they don't have to be as skilled. And I think it's interesting in the industry, it's like you, the level of skill required for an attacker to get into the market of, of you know, whether they're doing ransomware or other stuff, is it's just they don't have to be as skilled as they used to be, right? So you're getting more people joining the, the market as, as attackers. Um, and unfortunately, as defenders, we still have a skills gap. Like we have mm -hmm. to be more skilled than ever before. And then the other thing is, is there's way more tools than ever before. And I think a trap that CISOs fall into quite often is they'll go through the, you know, the, the, the whole, like say the SANS book of, you know, how to build a security program. And they'll be like, okay, what tools have I got for vulnerability management? What tools have I got for this? What tools? And eventually they end up buying more tools than they have staff. And you, you deploy your tools and you leverage like 5% of their capability. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't get the value out of it. Your budget's crazy. Your staff are overworked. And then, like you say, you know, the, the bad guys, there's so many of them. They just need to get it right 1%. And and yeah. they're in, and we got to get it right, like almost all the time yeah. to keep them out. So, well, I tell you, one area I haven't, one. yeah, one area I haven't thought of yet, but you just made me think of when I was thinking about the whole sock staffing problem, etc. I mean, I haven't read much, but I'd be be curious to pull on that thread a little to see where, uh, you know, how the ChatGPT type approaches are working for SOAR and and how we could potentially uh, uh, do some. Some, some work there. So that one's pretty interesting because one of the biggest, uh, as you know, whether you staff or partially outsource a, a SOC, there's the whole like SIM 
sore kind of dilemma and do you staff more coder types or do you go with more uh, GRC type? You know, it's almost like a spectrum, right? And yeah. even product skew accordingly. So that could be an interesting application to, to, to be fair that I haven't uh, thought of yet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I think I think a lot of us are still jumping in to figure out how and where AI is going to benefit the defenders. Um, yeah. Especially given, you know, staffing constraints and, and budget constraints and all those things. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to you're, you're trying to get a, an advantage that we've not had before, um, you know, and it's, it's tricky now. So on, on that topic. So what do you think? You know, so we've we've went through COVID, work from home. We're still doing a lot of remote work. What do you what do you think has has risen to the top of concern for most cyber professionals? I think a massive acceleration in what we thought was going to be the transition to um, zero trust. You know, I, I think it's um, there, you know it's kind of like. I go back to the cloud analogy, right? It it's taken us a long time to go from heavy on prem to on prem's almost like, oh wow, you do on prem, you know? Um, and, and I think that uh, you know, imagine if you just cut three years, I'm picking an arbitrary number out of that cycle. I think that's pain has been the solutions and the combinations of the solutions uh, and the interop and all the things we talked about. I just don't think we're where they needed to be to fully support those transitions. So I think it's a scramble and, and a lot of things. So it, I could put a lot of pressure on the actual implementation pace of how all of that was evolving. Um, you know, that being said, I still think most of it is, is kind of natural course otherwise. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, the whole remote access business, I think was was interesting because people ran you know they they ran to their existing vendors and basically doubled down on, on that investment that they already had even if that wasn't in their best interest because they had no choice so i'm hoping i mean i, I say you know from a banyan perspective we're hoping as as people get to the third year of any of those renewals that they're beginning to look at what's the smarter way to do this mm -hmm. um Wide, wide open VPNs and enabling that because people are working from home doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not it's not their smartest play from a security perspective. Now, I was going to ask you, so how did, you know, the move to the cloud has been, you know, huge for most companies. What would you say is DNS filters strongest um, offering from a cloud perspective? So, you know, people have moved to the cloud, DNS filters, DNS filter helps them in what kind of ways? You know, um, I would actually say that we have been um, not immune, but um, there's like like not a ton of correlation, to be fair. Um, we do have some, uh, some customers that are using us for like, um, um, you know, serverless protection, putting DNS protection in between their their kind of services architectures and, and whatnot. Um, but out, outside of that, you know, there's not a lot of, DNS is so universal and hasn't shifted a lot to be, to be fair, that it's fit naturally wherever people are moving from on-prem to cloud, they just lift and shift, you know, whether it's a, a relay or, uh, uh, you know, running a, a roaming client, et cetera. 
Um, it certainly pushed our roadmap a bit on supporting things like hypervisor and those sort of things for the people that are doing, um, uh, you know, thin, thin client style uh, IT work. So we, we've had yeah. to do a little bit of work there. But for the most part, we've been, um, you know, we were born during the cloud uh, era to begin with. Uh, <laughs> we, we actually operate a ton of on-prem, by the way, because in order to support a, a very fast um, Anycast network, you have to be everywhere. And, and to, to do that, that means you're, you're living on, uh, on, on data centers. So we're, we're, we're like 80 data centers around the world. So um, we kind of have a mix of, of cloud and lots of on-prem. So. Awesome. And so some generic um, questions I was thinking of as you were talking there. One, one would be um, what advancements within the cyberspace have you been keeping an eye on? You know, other, other than AI, other than zero trust, is there anything else that you're paying attention to that you think is exciting? Yeah, I um, I've got a particular fascination at the moment with um, privacy in terms of what we've seen on the consumer side and how that's going to manifest in the corporate side. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of people talking about it so much, but what I'm sort of measuring is sentiment and reactions around, um, around that. The fact that we're creating this situation where we're, we're being more and more careful with our, with our home deployments and, and making sure we have the right postures for our personal world and okay you know becoming aware of of what all the, uh, the 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 big players have done with our information right but I think there's this a whole nother surface around the the corporate um, mass if you will that takes a fairly promiscuous approach when it comes to security inside of a certain trust zone even if it's zero trust right it's there's an overlay and um, I'm very interested to see how that evolves because I think we're going to see a similar revolution that is somewhat bottoms up where we saw in the iPhone uh, back in like, uh, what was it, 09, somewhere around there. Yeah. All of a sudden, all the executives started showing up with iPhones and said, I need this. And everyone goes, no, no, there's no hardware encryption like the BlackBerry. You can't use this on the network. And then enough <laughs> enough uh, uh, execs got angry. And then, you know, hence now we have the iPhone or, or you know, and or Android as, you know, the, the total dominant, corporate uh, devices. Yeah. So I think there's going to be yeah. some similar things with privacy. So, yeah, it's, and it's, well, it's funny because I, I kept thinking years ago, cause I used to run identity and access management in, in Adobe a long time ago, mm -hmm. going back to like 2004, I remember talking to people about biometric authentication and I remember years before then, mid-90s, I was working with Novell in little compact fingerprint readers mm -hmm. uh, as, a way to log, as a way to log in. And people were totally against it. And they're all like, oh, you can't use fingerprint. You can't use fingerprint. Eventually, what happens, that consumerization caught, caught up, got ahead, and then really forced enterprises to say, oh, wait a minute. This is valid. We can use this. So Windows Hello for Business biometrics on my my apple devices um it, it seems it seems to me that the consumerization of something really pushes the conversation forward within a lot of enterprises so yeah and, and the privacy thing I, I think it's only getting worse and more alarming as more companies get involved and even you know 
you've got the big social media companies and stuff, but I think the reality is, is because we are working from home more, that means enterprises have way more information about the location of their employees than they ever had before. And how they handle that, I think is, is something people need to be, you know, thoughtful about. Um, Yeah. And I just built one quick thing on there. And so, you know, the consumerization part, you know, one of our kind of, uh, strategies is we have a consumer offering. We acquired a company, Guardian, that uh, actually powers the Brave web browser, and we've been integrating that technology into our our business offering. and And part of that's going to empower, you know, URL filtering, right? And in the enterprise world, URL filtering means breaking open the SSL uh, uh, chain and and getting in there. And as a security person, I don't know about you, but it makes me sick that we crack open SSL, right? Like, come on, like <laughs> this is this is just a counterintuitive that we're trying we're trying to provide more security, and it, it, it's there is no argument that that wins to tell you that that improves security by cracking it open, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things we're working on is a is is extensively is how do we do the same types of protections without cracking it open, right? And so um, I think that's an example of the consumers are going to be all over this and it will uh, matriculate its way back over to the business side. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the same same argument with packet inspection in general, right? I mean, the reality is, is yep. backhauling traffic, inspecting traffic. For me, you know, it, the value it adds to your security risk it isn't that significant for the cost of what the thing is. And the, the the cost, I mean, it, from a anything from performance to to just the the operational cost of the equipment you need to go and do that, it's it's crazy. So I, I've I've dodged that bullet as often as I could. I, I always try to avoid um, getting into the packet inspection business. I don't think it it really is is that valuable in the end. So as we as we wrap up, Dave, a couple of things. One is um, where where well. I want, I want you to give one piece of advice, up and coming new security professional. You've been in the security game for, for quite a while. What one piece of advice would you give someone who's just getting started in their career? Uh, it's generic to not just security. I would say that the patterns that um, exist in terms of the principles and foundational um, theory of operation learn those you know they, they haven't changed they're just in different shapes you know um it's like that old expression around everything becomes a poor imitation of unix right um the reality is like we stand on the shoulders of giants go find out what the, the history behind it all is and understand those pieces uh, uh of how we got here and and how it's really a natural um repetition so the cycles repeat um, don't 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 skip the steps of learning the fundamentals. They're still important, and they really actually haven't changed. So. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That is awesome. And just for clarification, everyone, what Dave said was giants, not giant, who happens to be our CEO. Because if you stood on his <laughs> shoulders, you'd you'd probably break his bloody back because he's not that strong a fella, to be fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I, I I would say what one thing um, I I was you know, pondering on this quite a bit, we, we go through, you know, your employee reviews and you talk about you know, accomplishments and stuff a lot. But, but the one bit of advice, you know, I always think about when I certainly go through a review cycle is 
not just what you do is important, but how you go about your business is really, really important. And I think, especially in this world where we're, we're under pressure a lot, I think for me, I'm a bit of a class clown. I like to joke around a lot. I like to work hard and play hard. But but the one thing for me is that how we go about our business is, is fewer times am I seeing people being rewarded in enterprises for being assholes and idiots to other people. So how we do our business, I think, is important. So if I was a new kid starting my career all over again, I think I'd probably take that on board and say, yeah, I'm going to be inquisitive. I'm going to learn. I'm going to work my ass off. But I'm also going to be collaborative. I'm going to leave my ego at the door. And a lot of those lessons, if I could grab the 20-year-old Dan Jones again, I'd smack him in the face twice and tell him to pay attention to how he how he behaves. Um now, obviously, now I'm older, you know, I'm an older guy now, so I'm obviously very well behaved and I'm totally, totally responsible. <laughs> um, don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. So, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, Dave, thank you very much. been a pleasure having you on the show. Just I want to end with where can people go and learn more about DNS Filter? Ah, DNSFilter.com. Yeah. God, funny. that was too simple, huh? Yeah. Jeez. You know, you, you yeah, could have been got- like Banyan. You know, go into our resources. We've got loads of blogs. Um, we have a lot of great stuff on there. Strongly recommend it. And um, yeah, so awesome. And for yeah, people who want to learn more about Banyan, go to Banyan Vines. Oh no, wait, fuck, that's the other team. Uh, don't go to Banyan Vines. If you search and you see Banyan Vines, skip past all of them. Go about thirty clicks down. You'll see BanyanSecurity.io. Made it simple, just like Dave. <laughs> Dave, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Banyan Security and find future episodes of the podcast, please visit us at banyansecurity.io. Special thanks to Urban Punks for providing the music for this episode. You can find their track Summer Silk and all their music at urbanpunks.com.